Welcome to the Lincoln Way Christian Church Podcast. This live recording is brought to you from our Sunday morning worship service. Don't forget to also check out www.lincolnway.org. And now for this morning's message. A few years ago, I got the great experience of traveling to South Africa for about four and a half weeks. Um, I'd never been out of the country other than I went to Mexico just right across the border for a short period. But other than that, Never been off the continent of North, North America. And so I was really excited about this. And I was going with a group of people. They had been before and they'd experienced it. Um, and I was kind of like the guy who got to experience everything they experienced. And they're like, ooh, wait till we do this. Wait till we do that. And so one thing that they were really excited about that we did was we went on a trip about halfway through this um, trip to South Africa, about two weeks into the trip. We took a trip to Cape Point. They were really excited about Cape Point. I'd never heard of it. Um, it sounded like a point in Africa. And that's all I could gather from the name. But so we got in this van that, um, and we started driving down this really small road. And the road we were traveling, there was like, it was really nice. There wasn't a lot of buildings and cars and things like that. But there were a lot of like creatures outside the windows that I'd never seen before. And that was one of my favorite parts of going. I'm like, that looks like a version of our squirrel, except it has wings. Um, And just a lot of weird animals. And next to our van as we're driving, we're not going very fast. Um, these like monkey type creatures begin to like just come out of the weeds and just kind of run up to our, our van. And I'm like, oh, monkey type creatures are running up. They want us to stop and pet them or maybe take one home for, to our family because um, my family was still in America. Um, and the, our driver, Pete, he turns around. He's like, do not open your windows. Those are baboons. If you do, they will jump in and bite you. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be bitten by a baboon on my trip. Because um, I, I really missed my wife, and I didn't want to explain like why I had fang, fang marks in my neck. Um, the first thing, I'm home, and I've got fang marks all over me. Um, I didn't want that to be my first conversation. So we get out of this um, van. We finally get to Cape Point, and we've got to walk up this large mountainous area to get to the top where everybody's really excited about it. And like I said, my wife and child were still in America, and I'd been away from them for about two and a half weeks. And at this point... Like, I'm enjoying the trip, but I'm like, I'm just ready to go home and see my family. And, but everybody else is excited. I'm like, I'll be excited too. Woo, let's go. Let's walk forever and get up this mountain. So we start walking, and there's these weeds, and everybody's excited, and I'm sad and also scared that baboons are going to jump out and get me on this trail and, like, tear me to pieces. Um, so, but we finally get to the top, and we stand at this ledge. There's no, like, little guardrails um, so you don't fall over the ledge, um, but you can just stand right at the ledge and kind of look over. And it really was an amazing sight. Um, we stood up there at the top. There were some benches. This is actually a picture of the top of Cape Point. You can see how the benches just watching. There was these guys and girls. They were like, oh, this is so great. And there's some of the other South African natives there that were looking as well. And they were really excited about what they saw. On the left side of us was the Indian Ocean, and the right side of us was the Atlantic Ocean. They were just kind of coming together um, right at the point of South Africa. And surrounding that were beautiful beaches below us and green shrubs everywhere. I mean, it really was a beautiful sight. But as I sat there and I looked over this, um, I couldn't really grasp the full aspect of the beauty of it because I didn't have my wife there to experience it with me. I was in a foreign country with foreign people eating foreign food, none of which tasted like chicken, in a foreign place I'd never seen before. And I was in this euphoric experience. But I couldn't appreciate the fullness of it because I didn't have someone there like me, someone there that I could really have a close relationship to, to experience it with. And that's kind of what's happening in the Garden of Eden. We're going to talk about the first marriage relationship, the perfect marriage relationship. 
And Adam is experiencing a very similar thing. The start of the relationship starts with the, the creation of Adam. Adam is, or God has just created everything else in the world. And the way he's done it is through words. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And he says, let there be waters. And there was water. He says, let there be creatures in the waters. And there was creature in the waters. But when it comes to the creation of man, he does something completely different than he, what he did with the rest of creation. Instead of just speaking man to the creation, which he could have done, he could have just said, let there be man. And there was man. But he does this. He leans down to this dirt he's just created. And he begins to just scoop it together and start to mold this dirt. And he starts to form the head, kind of like a sculptor, I imagine. A little water, make the eyes, form the nose, the bridge of the nose and the nostrils and the lips and the mouth. And then goes on to create the arms and the sternum and the legs. He creates man with his hands. And he looks down at what he's created and you've got to imagine he's got a smile on his face while he's doing this. <clears throat> but he realizes something as he looks at it. You know, this isn't alive yet. So what better way to bring something alive than to breathe into it? So God breathes down into the nostrils of man. And then something amazing happens. I picture whenever God does that, that this pile of, that was once dirt, the chest area that was sculpted, begins to rise and fall back down. And then maybe the fingers that he had just sculpted starts to move. And those little grains of, that were once sand begin to turn into cells. And those begin to form organs and skin and blood. And the more God breathes, the more the man comes alive. And the Bible says something amazing. It says, God breathed into his nostrils and earth came to life. Man came alive. And God was excited about this. I mean, he, the purpose of all the other days was to get to this one, one aspect of creation. To create man to have a relationship with God. And so God plants this beautiful place for Adam and him to hang out in. Um, they call it the Garden of Eden. Um, it says God plants some trees in there. And he says, Adam, look around. This is our home. This is where we're going to have a relationship together. We're going to have a perfect relationship in this garden. And I want you to do something. I want you to just hang out with me and have this loving relationship. But I also want you to do one thing for me. I want you to name all the animals in the entire garden. It's a big process. I mean, there were... A, literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of animals. That's not something that's just going to take a week to do. And so Adam goes on. I imagine he's like walking across this land, and we picture in our minds the Garden of Eden being just this little bitty uh, two-acre garden with a tree in the middle and some shrubs on the, the side. But the Garden of Eden was a really large area, probably measured in square miles, not acres. And Adam's walking around. Walks over to this side. He sees a river. Walks over to the other side. He sees another river. The Garden of Eden was so big that it had four rivers going through it. The Garden of, the Garden of Eden had these four rivers, and it was, they all came from one river, which means that this river had to gain enough speed to split off into four rivers. And God says, I want you to name all the creatures in this entire land. It was a long process. And so he goes on. I imagine him sitting on a log or a stump. Um, I don't know how the animals, if God brought the animals to Adam or if he just went around and searched for them. I imagine him sitting on a stump and thinking, this little animal here, little furry gray, fuzzy tail on the back of it, two long ears, I will call it bunny. And you will be girl bunny and boy bunny. And now go, enjoy life together. And then he sees, I will call you uh, baboon, and you are girl baboon, and you will bite people in South Africa <laughs> and attack them on trails. Go, live your life, fall in love. And the one thing I really began to pick up is that Adam's naming these creatures, and he's seeing that the bunny has the bunny, the baboon has the baboon, 
Even he's walked around and see the rivers. There's four rivers. The rivers have the river. And even in the middle of the garden, we've got the tree of life and another tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Even those trees have each other. And then he looks at himself and realizes, you know, I've spent years doing this. Where's my other person? Where's me? And God says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. And Adam continues to do this, God knowing that. And the reason God does that is so that man knows for himself that it's not good to be alone. And so he lets man kind of explore these feelings. And he keeps going on. He's on the top of this mountaintop experience looking at beautiful things but can't appreciate it because he's alone. No one to experience it with him. And so God does mankind, myself included, a big favor. He creates woman. Um, he takes man and he says, just lay down on, he lays him down on the ground and makes him fall into a deep sleep. Very similar to the creation account. Um, he puts man back on the same ground that he created from. And he leans down, takes a rib from man's side, takes it right out of him to create someone just like him. And he begins to create woman. And he creates her. And then I really like the picture, the images that come next that the Bible puts forth. It says that God presented Eve to Adam. God presented the woman to Adam. It's almost like a marriage ceremony that God's presenting. It's like God is the father and he has Eve on his elbow. And he wakes Adam up and he says, Adam, your bride. And he presents her to her and then passes her over to be Adam's bride. And then the cool thing is what Adam says next. In your Bible, if you look at that, there's, it's like an, a little indented passage where Adam says, um, he doesn't, he's like almost baffled. He's like, finally, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But it's indented, so it's almost like in song terms. And this, like we said, this series is called Love Song. So I imagine that Adam, had he had it, he would have picked up his guitar that was behind the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um... And he would have sang a song for, for his lovely, and God has not created a guitar pick yet, so we will use our fingers. Um, and he would have sang a song, a love song to her. And that's what this little indented passage is. And instead of maybe Adam, if it was in contemporary language, maybe it's Adam, but his last name is Sandler, like an Adam Sandler song. And instead of Eve, maybe Eva Longoria. So we got Adam and Eva. And he sings a song, maybe similar to this, at least in the the meaning of the song, maybe not the exact words. I want to make you smile whenever you're sad. I'll carry you around when your arthritis is bad. All I want to do is grow old with you. I'll buy you medicine when your tummy aches. I'll build you a fire when the furnace breaks. It could be so nice growing old with you. Cause I'll kiss you, I'll miss you. I'll give you my coat when you are cold. I need you, I'll feed you. I'll even let you hold the remote control. Wash the dishes in our kitchen sink. I'll rub your feet even when they stink. I can be the man who grows old with you. Cause I'll kiss you, I miss you, 
I'll give you my coat when you are cold. I need you. I'll feed you. I'll even put the lid down on the toilet bowl. Growing old with you. Growing old with you. Now that sounds funny to be to be a love song. Um, like an Adam Sandler song, but um, guys, you can confirm to me, when you met, like for those of you who are married uh, or have got a significant other, when you met your um, person that you could possibly marry or date, um, you probably got into a very similar childish, like, feelings inside. Like, man, woo, she's beautiful. This is someone I could grow old with. Like, I don't care what we do. Um, I'll carry around. I'll buy you medicine. Just marry me. Just be my girl. And you got to imagine Adam was very similar. I mean, he's met someone for the first time in the years that he's been alive that he could have a real relationship with. And so God marries them and puts them together. In Genesis chapter 2, Moses goes on to a commentary about what their relationship was like. And we're going to talk about three things that Moses points out that the marriage relationship should be founded on. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in marriage relationships. And a lot of them good, some of them not so good. But there are three things that Moses points out that every marriage should be founded on. If you don't have anything else, you need to have these three things in your marriage relationship. The first one is that your marriage needs to be independent. In that verse that Moses writes of the commentary, right after Adam met Eve, he says, you know what, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. He's saying he's going to leave one relationship and make this relationship with his wife the independent primary relationship for him. You know, we don't have a a problem with that in America. Uh, Most of our marriages, we live with our parents, we get married, and we move out and find a place. It's really not that much of a problem for most of us. Now, that still is the case for some. Um, But in the time that Moses was writing this, it was a very big problem, especially for the guys. The guy would meet a woman, uh, he would buy her with a cow, they would get married, and instead of moving out of his house and starting their own relationship together, the woman would be expected to move into his family. Now, women, um, imagine for a moment that you get married and you're asked to move into your husband's family and live right, your bedroom's right next to his parents and um, you're under their authority. Moses is kind of refuting that issue. He's saying, you know what? You're married now. It's time to be independent. It's time for you to get your primary human relationship from that spouse. That's where that relationship can come from. No other relationship besides your relationship with God should come before your relationship with your spouse. And it doesn't even have to be a human relationship, just relationships in general. Your relationship with your job should not come before your relationship with your spouse. Do not expect your spouse to join this relationship that you have with your employer. You join the relationship with your spouse. Not a relationship with a friend, that shouldn't come first. A relationship with social groups, your political group, your children, your relationship with your children should not come before the relationship with your spouse. Even this church, this church should not, the relationships you have in this church, maybe in your small group or maybe in the ministry you serve in, should not come before the relationship with your spouse. Moses says that if you're going to get married, you are to leave those relationships as the primary relationship and make the primary relationship your relationship with your spouse. You're supposed to be independent. Second, Moses says this. Not only are you supposed to be independent, your relationship with your spouse is supposed to be inseparable. Um, the interesting thing about this, this passage is whenever God kneels down to create Eve, is that he's saying 
he's saying in the passage, they will come together and become one flesh. And that was the case before Eve was created. It's like God, he kneels down from Adam. He pulls out from Adam, from one, one body, one flesh. He pulls out from that, creates Eve. And now he's saying, I want you guys to come back together and join one flesh again. It's not two separate things. It's almost like he's putting this really big emphasis on showing Adam and Eve. See, I pulled you out. You're over here. But now you're back together in one relationship, in one flesh. Now, what applications does that have for us today? One, in our marriage relationship, there is no this my, your mentality. Everything is in the our mentality. In other words, there's no my job and your job. There's no, this is my children, this is your children. There's no, this is my bank account, this is your bank account. My IRA, IRA, your IRA. When you come together in a relationship, you are one being. And Paul goes on to explain this a lot more in Ephesians chapter 5, that particular section, if you want to read that on your own time. And he says that, um, just the basic gist of what he's saying is that you guys are a body. And if you take care of one part of the body, you've got to take care of the whole part of the body. If you love that body, you will take care of it, both sides of it. Our marriages are supposed to be inseparable. Another implication that has for us is that if we are one flesh, if we truly believe this idea that we are one, one being together as in a relationship, to split that up is going to cause massive harm to both parts of those bodies, cause massive harm to the entire body. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you guys stub your toe a lot. I do. It's this one right here. Um, there's like no toenail in there because it's, used to getting stubbed on this couch. Um, I've got this blue, little blue couch that me and Rachel bought, and we put it right next to the, the hallway. So, like, you get up, and if you want to go to the bathroom, you've got to pass by the blue couch, and the blue couch always tries to, like, get you. And so I, like, walk by, and I stub my toe on it, and I'm, like, in pain. I'm like, you dumb toe! I'm going to cut you off! Like, we never go to that length. Like, thinking, there's pain in my toe. I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to amputate and get rid of it. Most of us want to take care of it and say, good toe, you're going to be okay. Um, but when it comes to the relationships, a lot of times, we experience pain in our body, in our relationship, in our marriage. And a lot of times in America, we like, I'm just going to amputate it. And that's the first thing we jump to. Amputate the relationship. There's pain, get rid of it. Let's cut it off. Let's not try and heal things. Let's not try and make it better. But let's get rid of it. One thing I want you to know, I don't, I don't think that, I think some relationships, there comes a time when you've got to cut the toe off. But it should never be the first option. It should never be the first option. Because when you cut that body in half, there's going to be scarring and wounds on both sides. And that's not something that's going to go away. It's going to be a lasting, permanent thing. The body, the marriage relationship, is to be inseparable. Moses goes on and says the third thing. The marriage relationship should be in the buff. Independent, inseparable, and in the buff. This is one of my favorite verses of the passage. Uh, I think mainly because I'm a youth minister. But in verse 25, Moses writes this. He says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Um, I don't know about you, but I hate being naked. There's, there's no worse feeling than knowing that I have no clothes on. Um, even when I'm by myself, I'm like so embarrassed that I'm walking around naked. If, like, if I could take a shower with clothes on, I would totally do it. Like, just hop in with my jeans and t-shirt on and kind of wash the arms. Because the thing about being naked is when you're naked, that's all you can think of. I mean, there's nothing else. Like, you can't, like, be naked and go to the store and not be thinking about you're naked. 
Um, it's, there's no way. And I, you laugh at me, but I know you're the same way. Because I know, I, I know that you guys have all had the dream of you go to school and you sit down at your desk and, you know, like ask for a pencil from your neighbor. And they give you the little funny look. And you look down and there's nothing there. Um, and then, like, you're, like, panicking in your dream because you just know you're naked. It's all you can think of. But it was complete opposite side of the coin for Adam and Eve. Uh, Moses says, they walked around naked all day long, picking apples, naming animals, and they felt no shame. Probably didn't even realize they were naked. And here's why. God has wired us, every human being, to get their self-worth from an outside source. How we feel about ourselves, we're wired to get that from an outside source. Now, at first, that sounds a little awkward. We were like, no, we should be, get our self-worth from inside, who we are, and that's where it should come. But God is wired. Look at your own life. Where does, when do you feel best? It's whenever other people give you the praise. Now for Ab and Eve, they were wired to get their self-worth from an outside source, but they're in this garden with a perfect God and a perfect relationship with that God. So their outside source is who? Is God. They're getting their self-worth straight from God himself. And you know, that's all they can think about. Adam's not walking around naked in the garden worried about what a rabbit thinks of him being naked or even what Eve thinks of him being naked. His eyes are completely on this relationship that he has with God. And Eve is the same way. Their eyes are on God. There's no way that what other people think of them is going to matter. And here's the practical step I want to give you for this. In our relationships, they should be very similar to Adam and Eve's. Not that we should be walking around naked all the time, but maybe that realizing that our outside source needs not be our spouse as the primary one. Now, I think we should love our spouse more than anything, and we should shower them with love and tell them we love them, but as our, our primary source for love should come from God alone. Um, Adam and Eve, theirs was God. Ours should be as well. Because you know what? Human love is very flimsy. We love, we don't love. Um, the strength of our love changes throughout the years. God's love, straight. And not only straight, but top all the way. 100% full love. What if we built our marriage relationships on the foundation that not I love you, you love me, but God loves you, God loves me. What if we built our relationships on that and got our self-worth and our love primarily from God and not each other? You know these three things, these three things um, independent, inseparable, and in the buff. Um, they're easy to talk about, but for us they're extremely hard because of what happens directly following in this passage. Um, just a few verses later, Adam and Eve, who have this perfect relationship with God, cut the toe off with God. They, they separate the relationship with God and kind of ruin this relationship. And it's not just a, a sin that affects them. It's a sin that has ex- affected their children and us as well and everybody in between. We come into these marriage relationships as imperfect people. We come in as a, a crippled people who can't get things right because a relationship was already broken. So we need to realize that when we come together as an imperfect person here and an imperfect person here, and we join in holy matrimony, this two, this right here is not going to be perfect. You can't take two imperfect things and make something perfect. We've got to understand that imperfect plus imperfect makes imperfect. There's going to be pain in relationships. I'm going to tell you that now. Um, I've only been married for six years, and I've loved it. But in that six years, there has been pain. And I've expected it. And you've got to expect it in your marriage. That there's going to be times, maybe just a few seconds, maybe a day, maybe even a year or more, it's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. 
And we need to realize that in that imperfect stage, we need to rely on each other and God, not jump to the conclusion that we need to amputate the relationship right away and realize that our primary source for love and our self-worth is not based on this imperfect relationship. It's based on God alone. Uh, there's a video I want to show you here in a second um, that's gonna, that illustrates this point a little, a little better than what I can. Um, and as you watch this video, it's about a man and his son. The man, um, they had a, he has a crippled son who uh, wanted to do some racing. But together, or by himself, he couldn't do it, but together they can do it together. And as you watch this, I want you to maybe imagine your marriage in the wheelchair and ask yourself, are we pushing this wheelchair alone by ourselves? Or is it God who's pushing it for us? Let's take a look at this video. God understood that relationships were not perfect and that there's going to be pain in relationships on this earth. Um, He experienced the pain firsthand whenever he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in order to make his relationship with us better. Realize that in your marriages, it's no different. There's going to be some pain and sacrifice. But with God and in God, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. There's always a resurrection. There's always a resurrection. 